Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Good morning, good morning. It's the Bump and Stacy Show. We got Curtis Rogers once again filling in for Stacy Ross. I'm Michael Bumpus. We got our guy Matt Nelson on the ones and twos as well. And you guys know the deal, man. The Mariners acquire Jorge Polanco from the Twins. They send over right-hand pitcher Justin Topa. They send over a couple minor leaguers. You also got Descalfani over there um, involved in this trade. So what are you getting out of Polanco, and what does this do to your rosters? 30 years old, only played in 80 games last year. He's a switch hitter. He wasn't all-star in 2019. Yeah, got a career slash of 269, 334, and 446. Has suffered from some injuries, but uh, when you look at this roster the way it is now, first off, you know, let me backtrack. How you doing today, Curtis? I'm doing well, Bob. You were on a heater there. I didn't want to stop you. You kind of blacked out. I was moving and grooving right there. You had to get your Jorge (laughs) Polanco takes off, and I wasn't going to stop you. Right, there we go. So, um, we saw this trade go down, and uh, obviously, we we, uh, digested it. We were at home when this went down. We sent the text out. We saw all the tweets. We start looking at the roster and and how it looks different and what Polanco brings to the table, who he's been. Um, obviously, the Mariners are hoping that he can tap back into 2019, uh, be an all-star, stay healthy, I think is the big key. Right last year, he had, what, a hamstring and a knee injury yeah. that he was dealing with. But um, your initial thoughts of Jorge Polanco and then your thoughts of how this lineup looks now. Well, Bump, I, I like the trade that was made yesterday. And it's been a newsy, uh, you know, last 24 hours or so here uh, with the obviously the coaching search going on and the Mariners getting their second baseman for 2024. We'll get into the coaching search a lot today. Obviously, the Ben Johnson news pretty big. We'll get into that here shortly. But bump when I saw this trade go down yesterday for the Mariners and I saw what they had gotten back or what they had gotten from Minnesota and Jorge Polanco starting second baseman. I was like, okay, but what's the return? Mm-hmm. That's always been the big question mark. And and yesterday was chock full of rumors involving like Bryce Miller and Brian Wu. And I was kind of hoping like, I really hope neither one of those guys is involved in this trade because I feel like Polanco's not the kind of player that would be worthy. Uh, I think of giving up one of your two best pitching prospects. Uh, and I was delighted to see that neither Miller or Wu were involved in that right. Polanco trade. Now, they did give up, you know, a pretty decent amount of talent. Justin Topa, one of their high leverage relievers from a year ago, he's on his way to Minnesota. Anthony DiScalfani, we hardly knew you. Uh, he's on his way as, as kind of <laughs> I hope he didn't sign a lease. Didn't sign a lease. Yeah, I don't think he unpacked his bags. I don't think he ever uh, got to Seattle from that uh, San Francisco trade earlier. Uh, Gabby Gonzalez, who is a top 100 prospect, but from some outlets, that was a, a tough piece to lose. And then minor league relief pitcher Darren Bowen, who's a little old for his level. I thought that the price tag the Mariners had to pay for this is not a price tag that I think will cripple the franchise going forward. Polanco has uh, this year on his contract, and then he's got an option for 2025. I really like what this does to the Mariners in terms of their uh, flexibility with their lineup, and I think it adds just another bat that they desperately needed uh, heading into spring training, which we're now like a couple weeks away from. I like the trade, and I think it makes them better now than what they were a year ago, Bump, because let's take a look at some of the the differences between 2023 and 2024. Let's run through a couple of them. Second base, I think it's an obvious upgrade. 
Jorge Polanco, if he gives you any kind of production, is going to be better than what Colton Wong gave you. I think that's. I don't think that's sure? a hot take. You sure? Uh, yeah, I don't think that <laughs> is a hot take. Colton Wong gave you uh, next to nothing. Now, third base is a little interesting. Gino Suarez, that was last year's third base, and now it's going to be a platoon of Rojas and Urias. Uh, it will be interesting to see if those two guys can match the production of Suarez in terms of the power numbers. Uh, you know, 20 plus home runs. I think he had, what, 30 something home runs in 2022. In left field, I think you are upgrading with the bat with Luke Rayleigh over Jared Kelnick. Kelnick had the one great month in April, but after that, really cooled down. In right field, Teoscar Hernandez, I think, is is better than Mitch Haniger is at this point in his career. But if Haniger can put together 100 games, 115 games, I think that's going to be a, a nice upgrade. And then the biggest upgrade you have made in terms of your starting nine is last year's DH compared to this year's. Last year's DH, you didn't really have one. This year, you've got Mitch Garver, a yeah. guy who, uh, when healthy, could potentially hit 30-plus home runs. So... I'm looking at last year's team bump compared to this year's team. And while there have been so many talking points about, you know, getting rid of salary, you got rid of salary with Teoscar and Gino and, and all those guys, Marco trading him, um, Evan White trading him. I, I think, and you know, this is a tough pill to swallow for some Mariners fans. I think you do kind of have to give the Mariners a little bit of credit here for making the most of what they were given this offseason. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and excuse me, Polanco. Polanco. Let me tap back into my uh my wife's Mexican and El Salvador heritage. There my bad. Polanco. Um, yeah, man, I like I like the move. You know, it's it's weird because we've had to be so patient during this offseason, right? And kinda mm-hmm. have to do something that we're not used to doing when it comes to this Mariners team is kind of trust what they're doing, right? So we're seeing these moves go down and it's starting to take some shape, man. And once I saw too, I read that um um Jorge has trained with um, Julio down in Tampa the past couple seasons too. So um, that's always nice, right? He's coming into a situation. He knows somebody. There's some familiarity there. And I wonder what role Hor- um, excuse me, Julio played in this whole deal as well. Um, I look at this and I'm encouraged, Curtis. Um, I still think that um, some other moves need to be made, but we asked for a bat the other day and we got exactly that. The main thing I'm worried about is him and uh, and Mitch staying healthy. Just can you stay healthy? I believe Mitch played, played about, uh, what, uh, 100 games last year and then Jorge in 80 games. Uh, you get up there in age, uh, you know, you, you get long in the tooth and those wheels and stuff start to squeak a little bit. So uh, making sure that he's healthy. I listened to, to Hollander talk the other day. He goes, look, man, we believe in his rehab and what he's been doing. He looks healthy. They feel great about it. So um, if they feel great about it, I feel good about it, man. Um, I look at the lineup and I, I see a bit more power. I see some veteran leadership, especially the bottom of that lineup is looking a lot more better, Curtis. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Polong, or you mentioned Hollander talking about Polanco's injury history, and uh, here's what he had to say about them doing a very thorough examination on him. I mean, we did a very thorough medical review. I think we understand what the injuries have been. Um, one of the things that is important to us and was important to our training staff is understanding what kind of worker um, Polo is. And all of our feedback was that he works as hard as anybody. He actually wor- is working out at the same facility that Julio works out in in Tampa. Um, they've worked out together the last couple of years. And all of our feedback from both the twins, the people around the league, and the people he works with on the offseason is that he is an absolute workaholic and will be able to manage his way through the injuries that have kept him off the field a little bit the last couple of years. 
Polanco in his last full season had 33 home runs. That was in 2021 when he played 152 games. Since then, he played 104 in 2022, and then he played in just 80 games a year ago for Minnesota. Now, people are kind of like, well, if Minnesota is so you know, quick to give up on this guy, why is what's what's the issue there? Got a lot of talent over there. Young exactly. talent. Yeah, twins. they yep. uh, brought up Edward Julian uh, from their minor league system last year, and he just proceeded to tear the cover off the ball, plays the same position as Jorge Polanco. He's younger. It just made sense for Minnesota to give the young guy a shot going into 2024 uh, compared to running the veteran Polanco out there who has spent a decade of his career with the Minnesota Twins. He's been a a Twins lifer so far in his uh, career. But, Bump, when you look at just this Mariners roster, though, there are some question marks that come from this trade, the bullpen being one of them. But I'm also looking at the amount of guys that they are hoping can play a full season that just have never done that in their career. Uh, Polanco is two years removed from his last full season. Mitch Hanniger, as we know, has dealt with plenty of injuries uh, during his time as a major leaguer. Mitch Garver, another guy that has mm-hmm. not played a full season in quite some time. Uh, you know, Josh Rojas and, and Luis Urias have not really been everyday players in their careers. There is a risk in every move that the Mariners have made this season bump, but when I look at at what these guys can do for the Mariners' ceiling, I think it might be a little bit higher than the 2023 team. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I look at this situation that we're in right now, and I have some of the same questions that you have. Um, Here, let me rewind, but I am happy that this went down and you kept Miller and you kept Wu. Because everything that we're reading, when we're talking about uh, Cease or whatnot, like these are the guys who um, who are mentioned when it comes to making a deal, right? They're the the carrot that you dangle in front of organizations and say, "Look, man, let's do some, let's make a trade. We got some young guys." But no, I'm looking at I'm looking at uh, Polanco, I'm looking at Garver, I'm looking at uh, Hanniger, I'm looking at Luke, and I look at what is gone. You got Suarez, you have Teoscar, Caballero, Kelnick, and uh, Gonzalez is gone as well. Again, like some of these guys you hate to see go. Love Gino Suarez and what he did for this team for the last couple of seasons when it comes to his play. Defensively, he was great on the corner, right? And now you're going to platoon that second, uh, excuse me, third base. What I didn't want was another platoon at second base, and hopefully you're going to get your everyday guy in Jorge if he stays healthy. Um, Curtis also read somewhere that my man has played in several other spots, right? He's played, what, 500? games at shortstop 24 at third base they want him to be an everyday second base guy you see any scenario where he does play the corner over there maybe if somebody needs a day off or two uh but i think they got him just as their second baseman i, I think that that's gonna help polanco i think stay healthy too is just being able to focus on the same spot day in and day out uh, where he was asked to do a little bit more in Minnesota. Coming here to Seattle, you've got guys who have, uh, I think, better flexibility in terms of, of playing different positions rather than him. So I think the Mariners, in just adding a bat, uh, a bat that can really put a charge in the baseball. We were talking to Brandon Gustafson. We're going to have him on later in the show at 1 o'clock. We're also going to have Ryan Divish on at 12 to dive into this move and just kind of how it impacts the Mariners' 2024 chances and, and how it impacts that American League West race that the Mariners were just a couple of games back of Houston and Texas in. But I look at just watching the tape of Jorge Polanco putting a swing on a baseball compared to Colton Wong last year. Like, Polanco 
seems to hit with a lot of hate in his heart, which I love. <laughs> there is a, a an aggressiveness that you never once saw with Colton Wong uh, in a Mariners uniform. Now, will that translate to consistent contact? Will that translate to you know putting up consistent numbers? You hope so. He's never played in T-Mobile Park regularly before. Target Field, a bit of a bandbox. The Twins, uh, a few years ago, set the major league record for most home runs as a team uh, in a season, I think with like 270-something. So he's going from a hitter's ballpark to what's probably one of the worst hitter's ballparks <laughs> in baseball. Uh, should be an interesting uh, adjustment there. Hopefully he doesn't fall victim to what we see a lot uh, from other guys across Major League Baseball. We, just want, to, we want a guy to put the ball in the play, right? Yeah. All right? Put the ball in the play, and I think when we look at this this lineup, we see more of that. Less um, less guessing at the bottom of the lineup, I feel like, right now. And that was the situation we were in. Remember last year, it was like, all right, when the top of the order is balling, the bottom can't get it done. And then the mm-hmm. bottom is winning games for you when the top isn't getting done. It's all about just uh, connecting at-bats, man. And Curtis, I look at the lineup as it stands right now and I think you can do exactly that man I wish I could ask um DePoto and in Hollander the role that Julio played in this obviously Jorge is a Dominican player he played uh spent a couple of seasons training with Julio down in Tampa what type of influence do Julio have in this situation when you see and what I've been looking for Curtis is all right who are they going to match up who are they going to pair up with Julio you got these guys on this roster already right you got your JPs you got uh you got Ty French you got Kyle Raleigh um who who's going to be his partner in crime is he going to be the partner in crime or do you think that person's already on the roster uh, it could be Polanco. I know that Julio, ha- he really took to Carlos Santana when he was here, and Santana was another guy that he trained with in the offseason. So I do like that the Mariners are, are you know looking at Julio and being like, hey, how can we – how can we help you out here? Because that's your franchise. That's the guy. That's the superstar. That's the guy who you got to appease. And mm-hmm. uh, if you want to bring in his friends who are good players, I say go for it because that's going to help keep him happy. And also I think that's going to help the Mariners uh, produce a lot better this season compared to last year uh, when it was Colton Wong out there, when it was, uh, you know, Adam Frazier the year before that. The Mariners have had a ton of trouble finding second base production ever since they got rid of Robinson Cano after the 2018 season. I think Polanco represents your best opportunity to find a, a bat at that position. All right, before we get to headline rewrites, I want to get your reaction to this, Curtis. Um, we were talking before the show, and you had some concerns, right? All right, what are you going to do? How are you going to replace uh, Topa? Let's go to cut number five. Hollander speaks on that. Some of both, and I, I definitely do want to take a moment to to praise Tope on this call. Justin Topa was awesome for us last year. From day one of spring training, he showed up. He was open to coaching. He was open to new ideas. Um, worked his butt off to to make sure he stayed on the mound every day uh, and was available to us and got huge outs for us all year long. Tope was great. We'll have to replace that. I think it's most likely it will be internally with a possibility, like always, that we could add externally as well. What are your thoughts there, Curtis? I They're betting on their ability to develop bullpen arms. You do which like they that? Have, they have had a lot of success in doing. I just worry that we might end up in a situation like we did last year after the trade deadline mm-hmm. where it was Brash and Munoz and then a lot of nothing. Getting the ball from the starting pitcher to those two guys became a challenge at the end of the season. They all ran out of gas. Even Brash and Munoz ran out of gas at times. So 
I'm hoping that somebody does step up. I think Jerry Depoto mentioned a couple guys. Uh, we'll get to that sound later on today uh, in the show. But, yeah, we'll talk about the Mariners' bullpen, where this move leaves them, because Justin Topo, one of their high-leverage guys from a year ago, you moved on from Seawald last year, who was a high-leverage guy. Isaiah Campbell gave you good innings. Where is that help going to come from this season? We'll talk about that at some point later today, too. Washington's biggest night out in sports is coming up. It's February 15th. It's the 89th Annual Sports Star of the Year Awards, crowning our state's biggest stars and stories of 2023. Find tickets and info at seattlesports.com slash events. Let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson has pulled himself out of the running for the Seahawks and Commanders head coaching jobs. What's the real headline? Real headline. I wonder how that interview he had yesterday with Seattle went. If he was like, you know what? I'm better off staying here in Detroit. He said, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to stay here in yeah. D Town. Um, the money might not have been right. Uh, we've heard rumors about what he was asking for as far as being a head coach. And maybe he looked at the situation in Detroit and said, look, we got Dan Campbell. Uh, we have a veteran quarterback, young skill positions at the uh, tight end spot and receiver spot. Maybe he just looked at that situation and said, you know what? We can make another run at the playoffs. When you look at the NFC West, man, you got to go through, of course, the Niners, the Rams, and the Seattle Seahawks. You look at the NFC North. Yes, Green Bay is there. Minnesota's looking for a quarterback. We'll see if they sign Kirk Cousins. And then Chicago is Chicago. Something about that situation made him feel nice and comfy at home. What do you make of the two hot shot young offensive minds in the coaching carousel? uh, Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowick both returning to their teams, not getting uh, a head coaching job in this cycle. Now, I, I'm i just assuming Bobby Sloak's not going to get one because he hasn't right. got one yet and really hasn't been tied to either the Washington or Seattle job. But do you think that kind of represents maybe a turning of the tides, how the, ter- how the turntables turn, <laughs> uh, going back towards maybe more defense uh, across the NFL? Maybe, or maybe it's just personal preference. Maybe those guys are being um, a bit more patient than we expected. When there's only 32 job openings, or not 32 job openings, 32 jobs in uh, in one profession, you would assume guys are going to jump on every opportunity. But, uh, you know, the grass ain't always greener, and maybe that's what they're looking at. Headline rewrites. The Falcons have named Jimmy Lake as their new defensive coordinator. What's the real headline? I didn't know the NFC South was the most academically prowessed <laughs> division in the NFL. Apparently it is. Uh, what <laughs> they got uh, in, uh, in Georgia, Georgia Tech. I think that's a pretty good school. school. You know, Calvin Johnson went there. So, um, but hey, I think good. Tulane is in New Orleans. Tulane's a yeah, pretty brainy Tulane's a good school. One. Yeah. It's a good one. You know what? I understand people here in, in the state of Washington do not have a lot of love for Jimmy Lake and oh, how I love Jimmy Lake. <laughs> how things was... happen. Sidelines him going crazy and uh, and UW just not having a good year. But uh, again, this is a perfect example of it's who you know sometimes. And let's not get it twisted. He might not have been a good head coach, but he knows his football. He's good on the defensive yeah. side of the rock, um, and he'll get another chance. That's he's, a good hire, a honestly. Great defensive coordinator yeah. under Chris Peterson. Yeah, it was good. But um, as we learned during his what year and a half here. Just because you're a great DC does not make you a, a great head coach. I found the uh, the cut of him uh, saying that Washington's more Please, academically prowess. No, I don't think so. Um, I think that's that is way more pumped up than it than it is. Our battles are really uh, the schools that we go against are way more have academic prowess, like the University of Washington. 
Notre Dame, Stanford, USC. We go to we go with a lot of battles, toe to toe, all the way to the end with those schools. And um, so I think that's made up a lot. I'm pumped up in in your world, in our world. Uh, we 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 battle more academically prowess teams. God, he's got to hate the internet. He's got to hate the internet. That is the most husky cut of all time. <laughs> it sure is. Headline rewrites. DK Metcalf, Geno Smith, and Nick Ballore have been named to the Pro Bowl as injury replacements. Let's throw a headline. Put Ballore in the best catch competition. <laughs> I think Amon Ra won it last year. That would be interesting to see Nick yeah, Ballore. Yeah, because you didn't face Nick Ballore. Uh, exactly, right? You don't know what you, what you what you missed out on. Can we please bring back the, uh, the bench press competition? Put DK on that I, one. I don't know if they have that one, but they have a tug of war now. Remember, I remember... When we were kids, bump, they would have like the forty-yard dash with like the Pro Bowl players and like the bench press competition. Right. Daryl Green from Washington would always win the forty-yard dash, mm-hmm. and then Larry Allen, the offensive lineman from the, the Cowboys, Cowboys, yeah, he'd put up like sixty reps of crazy. like two twenty-five. It's just absurd. I read somewhere that Larry Allen could bench press. It was like six ninety or something stupid like that. I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. He was built like a brick house. I watched actually that clip of him putting up 225 the other day, mm-hmm. and it looks like me when I'm warming up with just the bar. Just like it's crazy. Yeah. How can a human being move that weight that many times that quickly? He didn't even show a hint of slowing down until he hit about 45 of them things, man. It's crazy. That dude could bench 690. What do you think he could squat? Over a thousand. Uh, in his heyday? Yeah. For sure. At least he, at least he's he's looking at a thousand. That's God. for sure. All right, we four got a digits. four digits. We got a great show for you guys, man. Eleven o'clock. We'll be joined by Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated. Also, Ryan Divish at twelve. But when we return, man, uh, we got some news. Ben Johnson, he's staying in Detroit. What does that mean for the Seahawks? We'll let you know. Bump a sexy show. We got Curtis Rogers filling in. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. The Commanders and the Seattle Seahawks are the last two organizations in the NFL without a head coach. And it's like we were holding out. Is it Ben Johnson? Is it going to be Mike McDonald? Is it going to be Dan Quinn? We know who it's not going to be for sure, Curtis. It's not going to be Ben Johnson. He goes, look, I'm going to stay home with the Detroit Lions. What could have enticed him to stay? Or what did he, um, what requirements or requests did he have that uh, that might have scared some people off, man? And uh, according to Adam Schefter, Ben Johnson was not the head coaching lock that people thought. And his asking price spooked some teams mm. per sources. So um, word on the street is he was asking for a lot of money. He was hey, in the teens a, when it comes to his, uh, his asking price. He's got price. a pretty cushy gig with the Lions right now, just making it the NFC Championship game. They've made improvements year after year after year uh, in his three seasons with Detroit. I can understand the appeal of, of going back and, and getting another year of experience and, and having your pick of the litter next year being the top name on the market, whereas this year I think he was just one of a few names. It was a pretty crowded coaching market um but yeah this is a, a a pretty stunning development here uh to start off this tuesday bump where we had all kind of thought it was coming down to one of three guys mike mcdonald dan quinn or ben johnson and then johnson takes his name out of the running we had heard a few months ago from josina anderson who 
I think it's with CBS Sports now, uh, talking about Ben Johnson's asking price, and she said it was in the teens in terms of, of millions of dollars. Like we're talking $15 million around there, which I think is more than what Pete Carroll mm-hmm. had been making at the end of his tenure. I know coaches coaching salaries are not really made public in the NFL, but you kind of have a good – uh, read on that. So if Johnson truly was asking for that much as a first-time head coach, I mean, obviously coaching salaries aren't impacting your salary cap, so it really shouldn't be of anybody's mm-hmm. you know worry because it's not our money. But like that's a, I could see why teams would be a little skittish uh, of that. But when I look at this and how it impacts the Seahawks now, bump. I think we can firmly say the Seahawks are going with a defensive head coach. Yeah, unless something crazy happens, expect Mike McDonald or Dan Quinn. Um, and I'd be okay with either or. I understand people are going to say, Dan Quinn, let's need, let's get something fresh. What are you doing? Um, I think Mike McDonald is now the favorite for most guys. I look at Ben Johnson in this situation. I go, why would he want to stay over there with the Lions? He's done some great things with the Lions. Four different players with 500-plus uh Scrimmage yards, that's tied for most in the NFL. The Hawks have four, not too far behind him. Um, what he's done over there with Jared Goff, man, he's second in pass yards the last two years and second in touchdown interception ratio, 59 touchdowns to 19 interceptions. He knows how to get his quarterback to play at a high level. So then I look at the Commanders and the Seahawks. All right, you got Sam Howell over there, but the Commanders do hold the number two pick in the draft. So he would have been able to go and get his quarterback. And now Geno Smith, I think he looked at, may have looked at Geno and said, I already have that in a Jared Goff. So I think if you, once you combine his asking price, um, his relationship with Jared Goff, obviously, the weapons that he has on offense, and maybe the way he looks at that division over there with the um, uh, the uh, the Detroit Lions. I'm thinking he's thinking, man, it, maybe it doesn't get much better than this, and I'm not getting the money that I want anyway. Yeah, I think the thing I'm most surprised with with Johnson deciding to go back to Detroit is that the Washington job didn't entice him enough. You mentioned having the number two overall pick, having your choice of of basically whoever it is of the trio of Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels who doesn't get picked number one overall. Like you could pick whoever it is that you want to guide your organization from the quarterback spot going forward. They have brand new ownership there. Josh Harris buying that team for what six billion dollars mm-hmm. from Dan Snyder. So the Commanders don't have that stink anymore that they used to have, and and. Look, if I'm an offensive head coach and and I want to start somewhere as as a head coach, like getting my own quarterback would be a huge, huge selling point. And it's interesting that uh, that wasn't enough to entice Ben Johnson. Now, um, looking at what the Seahawks could give him, you mentioned having Geno Smith here, uh, but there's also the decision to be made on Geno, which is, I think, February 16th. The Seahawks have to decide on what his future is going to be here in Seattle, whether or not they're going to pick up that guaranteed money uh, that's owed to him. So I I can see it from Ben Johnson's point of view as to why he'd go back to Detroit, but I don't think Washington and Seattle are, are bad landing spots for an offensive-minded head coach. No, I don't either. You look at uh, the commanders, obviously you got one of the best receivers in the game, um, a quiet superstar over there. People don't really – um, give him the love that he deserves. Uh, you, you got McLaurin. You uh, you got Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, a nice one-two combo. Um, Gibson didn't put up the numbers that we're used to seeing over there. Um, admit, we mentioned Sam Howell, but you can go and get your quarterback. And I think that, to me, is the most interesting 
uh, dynamic of this thing is that you're either going to get Caleb or Jaden Daniels or J.J. McCarthy, whoever you want. Uh, probably not Caleb. We know he's going to go number one. And you can mold this guy and make him yours. Um, so what that tells me is that um, they didn't check enough boxes or the vibes just weren't right. I don't know much about Ben Johnson's personality, but I do know that John Schneider wants to keep a lot of what Pete Carroll has built over here. And now when you sit down and when you're in an interview and roles are reversed, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, do you have any questions for me? Right? Ben Johnson's asking John Schneider questions and maybe he didn't get the answers that he wanted. Maybe it could be a, something as simple as just scheduling or um, how things are ran inside VMAC as far as the people upstairs and in management or whatnot. It could be deeper than football because I'm looking at the whole situation and I go, this is a real good situation over here. Real good job mm-hmm. over here. Um, you have a quarterback. You got a number 16 pick. If you really want to go get a quarterback, you got weapons on offense. I look at the Seahawks weapons compared to Detroit. I think um, they're comparable. Maybe uh, you lean more towards the offensive line when it comes to the Detroit Lions. You can look at the running back position. Um, that's a wash there. Receivers, I think the Hawks have a few more, but Amon Ross St. Brown is a special type of dude. And also, that quarterback-coordinator relationship is important, man. I mean, goodness gracious. We look at the way Geno helped Shane Waldron through this whole situation. If I feel like if Shane had a, a, a rookie or a young quarterback, the Hawks would have struggled mightily these last couple of years. Thankfully, he had a guy who had been there who had done that. So that there's a there's a lot of maybes in this situation with Ben Johnson because he was the hottest offensive name yeah. out there right now, and he decides to stay home. So whatever Dan Campbell and those guys um, were preaching to Ben Johnson, man, uh, he loved it. Yeah, it makes me wonder what the culture is like in Detroit if you're convincing, or or maybe you didn't even need convincing, to have your offensive coordinator return when he's, you know, essentially being offered all of these head coaching jobs and he's mm-hmm. turned them all down to return and and be your assistant for another season. I think uh, Dan Campbell's a guy that has has built something really special in Detroit just in a three year stretch, and hopefully, uh, you know, for the sake of that fan base that, that it continues. But I look at this coaching search bump, and you know, yesterday you and I talked about we are expecting answers this week. Uh, we got a big one today in Ben Johnson, but there's still two names out there that remain in Dan Quinn, who interviewed with Washington today, and Mike McDonald, who is interviewing with the Seahawks today. Ian Rappaport at the Senior Bowl today on NFL Network uh, talked about McDonald and how he has impressed so far in the interview process. And the Mike McDonald one is fascinating to me because, first of all, I've talked to a couple teams who interviewed him. It sounds like he has been really dynamic in some of these interviews. I had one uh, person involved with one of the head coach searches who said this was the best interview we had by far. He is young. He is bright. Sort of the defensive Sean McVay is how he was described to me. And the fact that Seattle was willing to wait until after the Super Bowl to talk to him gives me Shane Steichen vibes. That makes me think he is a really, really strong candidate in, in Seattle. We will see where it goes today, but certainly that is one to watch. Well, Ian, let me tell you, we've been saying this for a couple weeks. Uh, Obviously, they're waiting for Mike McDonald. They're waiting for Ben Johnson because um, those are their two guys. And then you have the easy pick waiting in the wings and Dan Quinn. I don't want to get too much into that because our next segment, we're really going to dive into it. But, um, yeah, 
I mean, and this was this was, was the only negative I think for playing the long game, waiting to have one of these guys Pull back out, out and man. say, "Look, we're not going to do it." I didn't see this coming. I just knew Ben mm-hmm. Johnson was going to be a head coach somewhere, and then I thought it was going to be be between Dan Quinn and Mike McDonald. So. Um, when things don't go right, everyone has a plan to get punched in the face, right? Hawks has got punched in the face a little they're, bit. They're staggering how, around. How, how are they going to pivot? For their, looking for their mouth guard. Uh, how, how are they going to pivot and, and make this thing not necessarily make it right? Because it still can be right, I think, with Dan Quinn or Mike McDonald. But, um, you know, how how hurt are they that Ben Johnson didn't want to take this job? I, I, it probably stings a little bit. But I don't know if Johnson was their top candidate. I think that was probably the hope of a lot of Seahawks fans for sure, but I don't necessarily believe that he was their their top guy. I think it I think the two guys that are left that we all kind of anticipate it coming down to Dan Quinn and Mike McDonald, I think those have been the two guys that John Schneider's had in mind all this time because and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but like why would the Seahawks have waited all this time? to sit down with Mike McDonald. Mm-hmm. Like you could have had this coaching search wrapped up weeks ago, especially because you interviewed Dan Quinn at the very start of this process. Here we are now, what, two and a half weeks, almost three weeks later. Right. Like there's a reason why Mike McDonald has been of interest to the Seahawks. Well, according to Curtis and I, they got rid of plan C. You still got plan A and plan B. That's Dan Quinn and Mike McDonald. Who you got will break that down next. This is the Bump and Stacy Show in Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. We got Curtis Rogers filling in. Bump and Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. And then there were two, at least we think there are two coaching candidates left for the Seahawks. I'm Michael Bumpus with Curtis Rogers filling in for Stacey Ross. We're down to Dan Quinn and Mike McDonald. Ben Johnson decides to stay with the Detroit Lions. Now, before I ask you this question, Curtis, I'm going to go back to John Schneider and his press conference and what I got from that press conference. And what I got from John Schneider is that, look, sad to see Pete go. You're moving in a different direction. But we want to keep some of what Pete Carroll brought over here, right? You want to, mm-hmm. the positivity, the foundation, the vibes were good in VMAC. There are so many other things that Pete did for that organization that um, that we don't see, right? Because we're not in the building yeah. every single day. But it's clear that Jody and John want to keep a piece of what Pete Carroll has built. And why wouldn't you? I look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it seems like they've at least, I've perceived them the same Um even when Bill Cower was there and then you go to, to Mike Tomlin and I go, they still seem like the same program yeah. to me, just a different head coach. That's not necessarily, I think, what they want in Seattle, but they do want to keep some of Pete Carroll. So when it comes down to Dan Quinn and Mike McDonald, if I'm just going off of that, I'm saying it's Dan Quinn, right? Easy. That would be the logical answer to having a guy here to keep what Pete Carroll had going. Um but I don't know if that's the best option for the Seahawks, especially because, like, was what Pete Carroll doing at the end of his time here in Seattle, was that working? Would you definitively say, like, yes, this is a plan that is getting the Seahawks back to the Super Bowl? No. Exactly. Which I really think that means the Seahawks need some outside eyes on this situation in order to get this thing back to where it needs to be because 
And I'm not saying that Dan Quinn isn't outside eyes because he hasn't been with the Seahawks organization since, what, 2014, that mm-hmm. Super Bowl when they lost to the Patriots. So it's been a decade since Dan Quinn has been here. But if you think back to the glory years of the Seahawks, when you think of the coaching staff, you think of obviously Pete Carroll, but the next face that pops into your mind is Dan Quinn. And, right. and just kind of how he was able to not only, you know, just – keep what Gus Bradley had built here, but build off of that and make this defense one of the greatest of all time. But again, a coach is only as good as the personnel that they have, and and Dallas has some tremendous playmakers on the defense side of the ball right now uh, with Diggs, Parsons, Deron Bland. Uh, You know, how many of those guys are coming with him to Seattle? You're saying the portal? Exactly. It's not the portal. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, the end of his Atlanta tenure, that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, That's why I'm just not as psyched up about a Dan Quinn reunion here in Seattle as I think some people are. I think Mike McDonald is somebody that can give you a, a fresher perspective on where, you know, football is being played in 2024. Um, and by the sound of it, what Rapport had to say earlier today, it sounds like McDonald's interviewing pretty well with these teams. So to me, I'm, I'm going with Mike McDonald right. if you're offering me these two guys. Now, another name that Schefter had thrown into the mix, not necessarily for the Seahawks, but for the Commanders, the other team that has a, a hire to be made, is Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. Schefter said that, the commanders are in route to Detroit right now. And Johnson, Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Lions, told the commander's front office that he will not be interviewing uh, any longer. But that doesn't mean the commanders are going to waste their trip. They're still going to interview defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. Now, if it, if Aaron Glenn gets that commander's job, to me, Bump, it, I get the vibe that if Glenn takes the commander's job, wouldn't Quinn be better off kind of waiting out Mike McCarthy in Dallas than coming here if if he wants a head coaching job? Because there's no greater job in the NFL than being head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. There's no greater job with more uh, with more pressure, micromanagement. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that that could be an angle, right? You could be waiting to see what Mike McCarthy does, or you could be sitting there and looking at your roster and saying, "I like what my guys are right here. I like Micah." Um, I like Bland over there. Um, I like Diggs. I like the uh, the the plethora of talent that we have. I like what the offense can potentially do with Dak Prescott and C.D. Lamb and the gang over there. Um, so I look at I look at Dan Quinn. And I look at Mike McDonald, and I'm with you 100. I would love to see Mike McDonald. The the information that we've gotten on this dude is is almost like they're trying not to throw shade on his name, but to try to make him less attractive. Oh, he's an introvert. He's this and he's that. We did this um a segment yesterday talking about just um how Mike McDonald is an introvert, and my mom texted me during the the um the segment, and it goes, you know, introverts. You can't really tell they're an introvert in public sometimes. They get in front of people, they put on the song and dance, they're good to go. Um, but when they're alone and they're behind closed doors, that's where you kind of really see yeah. their true selves. And so I'm not worried about an introvert and Mike McDonald not being mm-hmm. to, able to stand in front of the mic and rah-rah and get people going like a Dan Campbell. As long as he's himself and he could get these guys to execute, you be exactly who you want to be. I'm with you 100%. I wouldn't be mad if Dan Quinn is here. I wouldn't be mad. I would be a little disappointed because I wanted to 
to see and feel something fresh. And maybe Dan Quinn can still do that. The same way that we pigeonhole some quarterbacks sometimes or players and say, well, this is who they were five, six years ago. That's who we're going to get. Yeah. And sometimes you get them and they're, they're a different player. But they still have um, pieces of them that, that were that player. If you get Dan Quinn, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping, okay, all right, we know what we're going to get out of Dan Quinn, but surprise me with what we don't know about you. Yeah, I want to, if it's Dan Quinn, I want to see him make a, a very splashy offensive coordinator hire. I want to see him, you know, have that kind of emphasis because if you remember in Atlanta, his offensive coordinator was Kyle Shanahan. Right. Like that, I think that's a, a good sign that. Dan Quinn is somebody that knows the importance of, of offense in the game of football in 2024 uh, because that Falcons team had one of the greatest passing attacks we've seen in, in recent memory. I mean, Matt Ryan won MVP that year. Julio Jones uh, at one point was on a Hall of Fame trajectory in his career. Uh, I don't know if the last couple of years have, have kind of derailed that, but at one point he was the best receiver in football. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a fantastic running game with, uh, was it Foreman and and uh, Devontae Freeman and all yeah. those guys. Uh, so, like, Quinn had, in his time in Atlanta, did have a really good offense, um, but I just... I still would like to see some some new eyes here, and and I think Mike McDonald kind of represents that for me. Um, if Dan Quinn is the hire, I totally understand it because that is following Jody's directive of keeping the culture the same here and and keeping all that they have built under Pete Carroll kind of still intact. But I don't know, bump outside eyes is something that I would be a, a big proponent of uh, for whoever gets this Seahawks job. I'm with you. Now, you and I have narrowed it down to Dan Quinn and Mike McDonald. Obviously, there are other candidates out there, right? We're saying, look. We could have a dark horse You know, we could find somebody uh, tomorrow, and, and it'd be a name that uh, isn't popping right now. But those are the two that we think it's narrowed down to. Alright, man, we are just getting started. I got lots more to do when we get back. We'll speak to Connor Orr of Sports Illustrated. That is next here on The Bump and Stacy's show. We got Curtis Rogers filling in.